0: This is KQEN. Local information at 4 o'clock. Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Little John with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN.
1: All right, gang. Welcome to the best time you've had all week. I know you've been looking forward to your favorite Tuesday. And here it is, time for The True Well Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with...
0: Matt Dixon.
1: And we are stoked to be here. Matt, I am going to catch you totally on your heels today. I've been yeah, because
0: we haven't discussed what we're talking nope, about nope, today, so but, we're, we're going at it.
1: But you know what? This is something that is contextually something that's very useful for you right now, and I think it's useful for our listeners. And what it is is how should you measure risk? Right now, mm-hmm. not in a fancy way. Right. Not like a we're going to get out our abacus and try to figure out some, a new, numerical. But I mean, like, how do you how do you bridge the gap somewhere between that pit in your stomach where your heart is and where your brain is? Right. The triangle of human emotion that messes everything up. More often than not. And how can you get out of your own way?
0: You know, I don't think we're really very good at assessing our own risk. I think it's better when we have someone else assessing that.
1: I think that having an external party provide perspective is really, really useful. But I think there are some things that all of us can do that can improve how we make decisions, especially complicated ones.
0: Okay. Give me an example.
1: So one of them is operate with rules
0: okay all right do you have like a rule book are they set in stone
1: i don't think that they're set in stone but they need to be at least written in some form or fashion and what this amounts to if if you've watched professional money managers or anybody that is managing their own investments and they start to get into shorter term stuff like trading as opposed to long-term buy and hold oh yeah what the successful people more often than not do is they don't simply trust their gut, they write down rules and they have reasons for what they do and they have targets for when something happens, right? And so,
0: yeah, okay, so like you're up six percent, go ahead and sell it versus you know the person that hoping sits you there get to seven, yeah. yeah, oh man, I oh it went to seven, I'm sure it can go to eight, and I mean. Mm-hmm. I think like Rivian would be a good example of that. Right. Like sure. Rivian came out and everyone was making a bunch of money in the first day or two. And then I know some people who are like holding on with this faith as it's falling like, oh, but it's got to get back to where it was. Right?
1: Absolutely not. Either. Yeah. Absolutely then it didn't. not. Uh, and, and there's probably one of the challenges. First of all, all of I'm including myself in this even as a professional investor
0: who's been doing it for a long time.
1: Yeah, more than 2 decades of doing this and for compared to most of our listeners, I have paid the stupid tax more than you with my investments. Oh, There's a good uh, yeah. chance. Yeah. that that I've had more losses in aggregate than uh, most of our listeners.
0: And I bet you've learned from those losses.
1: Well, yeah, I say it's a really expensive education. Okay. Now I've also had a lot of gains, but I should, right? We're professionals at managing money and after 20 years of doing it, there should be a lot of just activity compared to most people, okay? For Nevertheless, sure. if you consider uh, the the ups and the downs and the captional how, how that we could still boil it down for folks and, and like rivians a funny example, but that was not a big surprise at all to me and no. it shot up I said but they don't make anything mm-hmm. it's we're selling hopium
0: hopium i love
1: it okay. that's great yeah we're selling hopium i sure hope this thing goes higher right <laughs> and 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 then when it doesn't then people get really jammed up especially if you bought high and the price is below it now you're stuck in what we call anchoring bias right mm-hmm. like, i can't sell this thing i'll take the loss and it's then like, you get
0: really committed to more losses. Yeah. Like, at what point do you want to stop the bleeding?
1: Well, and but therein lies the problem, too. We've discussed, and again, this is not a recommendation, but I'm going to let folks know, it's currently in our portfolio. We're paying for it in a lot of regards. Uh, we have PayPal as a position in one of our investment models. And it's off peak from its peaks in July, it's almost 40% off. Mm -hmm. And as our investment committee is looking at this and saying, oh my gosh, what do we do here? And you know what the answer is? Probably double down. Yeah, buy more. Right, I mean, buy it on sale, right? Again, not making a recommendation, this is completely out of context for anybody listening, so don't go out there and think that I just told you to buy PayPal. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that one of the money management decisions is, if this is a company that we believe is on sale, mm-hmm. wouldn't you want more of it?
0: Yeah. I mean, we, I, you know, do I, you got to ask yourself the question do I still think this company is healthy and viable in the future? Wait a minute, Matt. That sounds like a rule. Oh, so <laughs> can I write that down? Someone <laughs> give me a piece of paper and pencil here. Right? Like, so, rule think number about
1: one. One of the simple concepts of investing is do I still, would I buy it today if I didn't already own it? Mm hmm right? Yeah,
0: that's a good question.
1: And so that's, that's it. And if I don't own it, would I sell it today if I did own it? Yeah, Okay, that's sort of the flip side of it. So what you're trying to do is take a step back and get at arm's length from this transaction a little bit and start to set the emotions aside. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about risk and rules and so forth, I think that it be it's useful for folks to also understand risk is not a standalone variable. Okay, it mm. doesn't exist on okay. its own. Where all we measure as investors is risk, right? It turns out risk is relative. Sure. Okay. Now, relative to what?
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the, that's the million dollar question. That is
1: the million dollar question, and relative to a lot of things. But let's ask it this way. So, Matt. Our listeners may not realize this because you're so mature, and I sound so immature. Ah, but I've got you by a
0: few years. Got me by a few, that's for sure.
1: Okay. So what do you think are some of the differences in between your investment risk... Uh, profile like versus yours yeah Yeah. i mean i
0: think time horizon's a big piece of that right like i have a few more market cycles in me than you do like yeah
1: in theory yeah yeah and and, and lord willing we hope so yeah i mean as long as as long
0: as i stay alive right and see my retirement i've got another 30 years before i retire right but you don't you've got maybe 20 15 20
1: yeah. I mean, if I want to retire so, earlier and I, you know, retirement's a, this, I'll say this on air, by the way, I think retirement's a myth. Okay. right. I think retirement's a sloppy definition and that we, we don't agree. You and I, if I say retirement, you and I may not agree on what that means. Doesn't mean we disagree a lot, mm-hmm. but we may not be completely in sync. And so I think that word is sloppy, but to your point, yes. I mean, I've got, it's the probability that I work deeper into the workforce or in my into my you know senior years than you than you and you retire before me, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not necessarily likely, right right? Because I got a head start. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, so time horizon's a big one. Yeah, right? Okay. So what are some other things that would impact your how much risk you would want to take as an investor?
0: I think it just comes down to your personality too. Like some people just aren't inherent risk takers. Sure. Like, you know, the thought of losing money terrifies some people while at the same time another person might look at it and be like, yeah, I'm going to lose some today, but tomorrow what Mm -hmm. if I'm not losing? What if I'm up big? Yeah. So I think it's just a perspective based game. What do you see in this? personal? Definitely. Yeah. What do you see?
1: Well, you know, I think we're, we're, na- we're going through, and I kind of go through a list in my mind. One of them is Time Horizon. right? Mm-hmm. You kind of mentioned that one. The, the personal attitude about risk, thats I'll call that sort of like your sleep meter, right? How much does this stuff keep you up at night? If, if you really fret over variability, mm-hmm. then your risk tolerance is pretty low. Sure. Okay? Now, uh, some people, on the other hand, they don't even look. Right, and so they know the markets go up and down but they're not they're not going to look at it for 20 years because that's not when they, they until they need to worry about it so they're a lot more comfortable just sort of letting it do its job over time and not worrying about the intermediate details between now and their destination I know
0: a guy like that he trusts his advisor and they're not related to our firm at all but this person mm-hmm. trusts their advisor and they just contribute every month and they never look at it ever they don't look at their balance statements or anything they They've had a good track record for four or five years, and they don't want to see the ups and downs. And
1: the remarkable thing about this is, it's it reminds me a lot of aspirin, right? Not sophisticated, but it works. There you go. Okay, and that's the funny thing about investing is that we can overcomplicate it. right? Oh, we do. We really can. We do too. Uh, and I I wanted let's let's come back to that thought in a second. But there's one other piece you know you so your your personal your time horizon a biggie is liquidity need, mm. right like yeah what if you need to access the money then you right so yeah. retirement's different retirement's like well you're setting that for a rainy day well off in the future and you can afford to kind of go over the peaks and valleys on your way up the mountain or as we used to joke you know go upstairs with a yo-yo right you're going up but you're bouncing up and down along the way mm-hmm. and so that Is when you've got a longer-term time horizon. But what if you're wanting to potentially, you know, I'm investing this money, but I may want to buy something else with it, and so I would need to get my hands on it sooner. And and there's real-life examples. I mean, I want to, I'm investing to buy a house, or uh, how about kids' education, something that's sooner than retirement, right? It's invested for a while, but at some point, you're gonna take the money and use it.
0: And that's why you don't have all of your money in PayPal. (laughs)
1: Well, and that's why you've got this, uh, that's why risk is, it's relative to the conditions. Now, it's also that liquidity is highly matched to Time Horizon in this case, right? But how much might you need to sell? Because what happens is, think about the math on this. It's actually very, very easy, okay? If you have $100,000 and you're going to take a 5% withdrawal out, how much is it?
0: You have 95% left.
1: Right. So you have $5,000 of withdrawals out of oh, $100,000, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And let's say that it's a a market crash and your $100,000 is now worth $50,000. If you take $5,000 out of that account now, it's not a 5% withdrawal. Right. Like it's 10%. Mm-hmm. So it's a much more aggressive bite of the apple when the account is down. Yes. If you have a long enough time horizon, you can wait for the markets to recover before you take the withdrawals. This is also why people tend to be more conservative with their investments as they age and they get into retirement, because they don't want to have the withdrawals harm them as much. But it's also a major point of confusion, right? You know what people get confused about when it comes
0: to retirement and risk? Knowing when they can access their money. Oh no! I'll tell you or after when the they break. Oh. oh yes! We'll oh make up, take oh the man, Dave! I know. You're playing so, with our heartstrings exactly. here.
1: Exactly. So I want you guys to stick around because when we come back, if you are in retirement and you're trying to figure out, well, how do I handle my risk? Key point. But we got to take a break first. Stick around. Okay. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth, on news radio, twelve forty, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. If you are just joining us, get the podcast hooked up. It'll be on our website at
0: LittleJohnFS.com.
1: Right? And so you get to the site, and it's going to have. Like, it's pretty simple. Across the top navigation, one of the tabs says what we're about. Okay. And if you're wondering about the principles that make us tick, they're all in there. We got three pillars educate, plan, and invest. Check out the educate tab, and the podcasts are going to be in there. Okay. So, you can, and you listen to all the past shows and, and try to figure out just how, uh, how many shenanigans can happen in this studio.
0: A lot, yes. especially in the amount of time that we have. Like they gave us way too much time on the air. We're going to pull too some much stuff. or not
1: enough, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So look, we were talking about risk assessment, okay? And as investors, this is such a key thing. But here's what um, I have seen a lot of the time, and I don't know if you've observed this too, Matt. In as you're getting to know the the firm more and our clients, and you're, you're interacting more as an advisor, so. I see people misgauge their own risk tolerance at times because I think they're they're almost overthinking what they're doing.
0: Yeah, right. Hundred I mean, percent. I've
1: seen people that oftentimes will under risk, like they'll get really conservative for and reasons. at the wrong time too. Yep.
0: I mean, have you seen people pull out right before you know twenty twenty one happens and sure. then they lose out on a. 20 sure. or 30% gain yeah. potentially?
1: And, and look, here's the thing market timing is so difficult. Yeah. It's uh, statistically very, very improbable that you're going to be you successful.
0: T- d- I might be wrong, but don't you lose more often than you win when you're trying to time the market?
1: So I don't know how we would measure that, right? But I can tell you that again, uh, I'm now uh, you know, somewhere in my 21st or about to hit my 22nd year in the biz. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've had a lot of fantastic mentors, and I've had a lot of, uh, let's just call it, you know, the school of hard knocks when it comes to working in the investment landscape here. And I have timed the market before. Uh, However, much of what we do now and what I've learned over the course of my career is that you can get way too greedy by having binary thinking in the marketplace.
0: Expand upon that right. a little bit. So,
1: remember, binary thinking is is like a computer, right? It's a zero mm-hmm. or a one. It's a yes or a no. All or nothing. Sure. Right? There's no nuance to it. There's no maybe. There's no gray area. It's, it's either this or that. And and let me give you an example. Okay. Oh, well, uh, you know, not my president, and so therefore the market must do this. Uh huh. Yes. Right. Yeah. What? There's no statistical evidence to suggest that's really true. Okay. Uh, in fact, people sandbag it all the time. Uh, if you really look back historically, a lot of the best times in the stock market occurred during mixed administrations like a, the presidency is, tip, is oftentimes uh, held by the, the Democrat Party, but the majority in the House and Senate uh, for so Congress is the opposite like a republican congress and a democrat in the white house that's actually like the bill clinton era which i realize it frosts a lot of people in some ways and other people want to celebrate so i'm not picking teams here but there's a really strong year in the market in the late 90s we actually saw a budget surplus for like the first time in who knows mm-hmm. right in the late 90s the stock market was near all-time highs now it then cratered afterwards and so what you'll get is People that will data fit to say, well, because of the things that so and so did, it caused a crash. Right. So, and, and that's, that's just politics, right? If things are going right, take credit. If things are going wrong, blame the other guy. Yeah. We see that all the time. Yeah, that's just how politics work. But I see investors miscalculate and because of binary thinking, right? Oh, yeah. And, and so, what I suggest is, well, then don't make an all or nothing bet, tilt it okay so so we again as money managers one of the things that our firm will do is we will not simply buy everything in the same proportions right we don't buy all stocks and every stock has the same weighting in our strategy we think if a stock it appears to be riskier we may own less of it if it appears to have more attractive upside versus downside risks we may overweight it and if we see large undercurrents in the economy that concern us.
0: Maybe you go to part cash.
1: Well, we will. Yeah, we'll either partially, you know, we'll reduce our exposure to the markets. That's something we call sort of dynamic risk variance. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a fancy way to say it. But it's dynamic portfolio management is altering the exposure to asset classes based on conditions. And some of that involves art, right? Like when you're trying to read the economy and see where things are going, you have to make some approximations and some educated guesses, predictions are difficult but we try to ground them in high probability statistics and the predictions are
0: easier when you've seen it enough times versus the do it yourself Yeah,
1: well i mean the joke is history doesn't repeat itself but it often rhymes i like that right yeah so 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 that's the thing is that we see things that happen but but then we see things that appear to happen and then, then then they're not the same right uh we discussed in our investment committee this morning how it's the mid cap and small cap market space typically respond faster in inflationary environments because they can change their pricing structures more quickly to be adaptive and yet we've been in an environment the last several years where the super giant mega companies there's been buying everything they're buying up the innovators yeah. right so rather than trying to invent new stuff themselves they just buy and absorb right so it's if you're star trek people it's like the borg right we'll just assimilate <laughs> there and, you and go and that's sort of the thing love the thing. analogy it's effective mm-hmm. right but it also has created an interesting dynamic in the market that the indexes themselves have become very large cap weighted right so the S&P 500 is heavily weighted in a handful of mega companies that keep absorbing their competition okay it also here's a fun one Leads to oligopolies. Yeah. Okay. And and if you don't know what an oligopoly is, you you it's you you know it's just not been named yet. Like you know what you've played the board game Monopoly. Right. Yeah. What's the point of Monopoly? How do you win? Get as many properties well, you, as you yeah, can. You own everything. Eventually, yeah. you amass so much that nobody else can afford anything, and you take over and you win all of it. Right. You buy the whole yep. board, and everybody else is broke. That's a real thing, right? That was, what, uh, Dale Carnegie and U.S. Steel back in history, right? I mean, that was all the, and the Rockefellers. Yeah. You know, that that was monopoly practices uh, around the turn of the century, and, and it took, uh, you know, Great Depression era times, where it took legislation to create the antitrust scenario that prevents monopolies. Doesn't do an awesome job, but it does better than nothing, right? But an oligopoly is when a small number of competitors have such a large share of the market that they can collude and act like a monopoly, yeah. right? And so we sort of see that in the big tech space a little bit, where mm-hmm. you know only three or four play. I mean, I think you're talking about basically Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Microsoft, and they're the primary hosting services for the internet. Like all the other companies use their Hosting typically that's not exclusive. Somebody's out there going, "No, it's not true." There's these others. No, I get it, but they have huge market share. You know, if that's seventy percent of the market,
0: that's a pretty big chunk of the pie. That's a
1: giant, giant, uh, you know, machine there, and everybody else is kind of getting the leftovers. Mm-hmm. So, that's the point. So, so anyway, let's we'll we'll use these concepts to to get back to home base on investors and risk. What I see often is younger folks with long-time horizons that will see market conditions and then take a, a risk-averse posture because they either saw somebody in their own life where, oh, I know somebody and they, they lost their shirts in the market, and I'm never going to do that. Yep. Or they see it as, Well, I don't like the circumstance that I see, so I'm making a binary bet, one way or the other. And I don't think the market's going to work out, so I want less exposure to it. And the problem with binary bets is you have to be right. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's not much hedging. It's like if you say, like this is why people ask if we short stocks very often. I hardly ever short a stock because you got to be right twice. You got to be right that it's not going up, and you got to be right that it is going down. Yeah. Okay. It's not just, well, you have to be right that it's going down. No, no, because if it goes up it hurts you. So it has to go down. Right. So you have to be right twice. It's harder. Oh yeah. Okay? Now people would say, Well, what about when it's going up? I mean, it's the same, it's gotta be going up and not be going down. Kinda. But the thing is, when something's going down, I'm losing money that I all I have when i short something it's going down i'm losing money i don't have <laughs> and i have yeah. to go find it to make up the difference that's if i true. have to cover
0: and there's just so much more potential for loss if it i mean well the st- what if it keeps going up and doesn't go
1: down most of the time the markets go up that's the thing over time historically this i'm not making some prophetic statement here take a look History is really, really obvious that, yeah, some companies go out of business. That's why you don't bet the farm on one company. Not if you want to stay wealthy, right? So, you know, the expression? If you want to get rich, concentrate. If you want to stay rich, diversify. But yep. look at the stock market in general over time and find me a better way to have your purchasing power outpace inflation over the long run. Even with, again, in my two- more than twenty years of doing this, two times the markets had fifty percent corrections, and then COVID was a thirty-something percent correction. So I've had three times in the last twenty years I've seen the markets drop by more than thirty percent. And for real-life people, if you got a four hundred one k, and for every hundred thousand that you've got in that, that was thirty to fifty thousand dollars of loss. That's mm-hmm. legitimate pain. Like people freak out about that, and the crazy thing is. Markets are at all-time highs, right? I mean, we're, we're just off the yeah. all-time highs of about we a week ago. But we are at almost all-time highs all over the place. And folks are telling me that, well, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I said, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And we'll position strategically to manage the upside and downside risk of this market and hedge where we need to. but
0: Until then, why not ride it to the top?
1: I just don't want to be binary in thinking or be so committed to one way that That you miss out on
0: all the earnings in between.
1: Well yeah, I mean there's being proud while being wrong is just expensive.
0: That yeah, that's true. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: So set your pride aside and say, I don't have to be right. I can I can believe the markets do one thing, but now what I need to do is take a step back and work with what the market gives me okay that's and sound be, advice be nimble and smart about it but work with what the market gives me sound okay? advice so there's one other mistake and this was for the retiree Ooh. that we hear a lot but you know you're going to make them up, wait i know, we're you, up David? on the evil clock break here so we're going to take a break all right and when we come back matt's going to make sure i do this for all of you that are at or near retirement we're going to talk about that the mistake that we most often see the end, how you can avoid it. But we've got to take this break first. So stick around, we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Welcome back. To the True Wealth Show, Dave Littlejohn in studio
0: with Matt Dixon.
1: Awesome, and uh, we're gonna, I'm going to remind you guys get caught up here. If you are joining late, you can catch the rest of the program. It'll be podcasted tomorrow. Go to littlejohnfs.com and go under the Educate tab, and you'll find the podcast. Today we're talking about it. It's I don't know if it's really ex- an exciting topic, but it's just so important because I see investors miscalculated often right and it's risk tolerance and it's usually miscalculated because of some kind of misunderstanding right uh, for younger folks oftentimes we talked about the idea of binary decision-making where you believe something is either going to do with, go one way or the other but it's not even the other. It's like I believe this is going to happen and therefore I will position conservatively in my investments. But then if you're wrong about that thing happening, you miss out on tons of opportunity, right? Yeah. And so that is one of the common mistakes here. But you know, there's another mistake that's pretty common. I promised at the break we'd talk about it. And that was what I see a lot of folks as they get a little bit older, they get into retirement. And you know what I'm going to say, don't you, Matt? I have a I have a clue. Exactly, right? I see folks that On paper, assume that because they're old, they must be conservative investors. But that's not always necessarily the case. It's really not, is it? So uh, think about for a moment, Matt, can you give me a situation, or can you give our listeners a situation where it may not be the case that just because... Let's say you're in your 80s. Mm -hmm. You may be listening to the show right now, and you're thinking... What a mistake would I be making? you're in your 80s. What's a situation where somebody in their 80s may think they need to be a really, really conservative investor? Like, we should just be buying CDs at the bank and keeping stuff in savings Mm -hmm. and really, really conservative. But maybe that's not necessarily an automatic.
0: I mean, what about the case where you have more money than you're ever actually going to spend? That's a
1: good question.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I feel like that's a real situation. Like, there Absolutely. are people, and I, I think I've seen this already in the short amount of time I've been working um, with the company, but I've seen people come in and they're like, well, I have to be conservative. And you start unraveling that, and you're like, well, well, why? And I think it just gets ingrained into our behavior over the course of so many years, right? Like, where we were at a point. Right, where we had to save, and we had to be pinching every penny. Well,
1: there's so there's something else at play. I'm going to point this out. And again, uh, if if our listeners, if you're in your 80s and you're listening to this, this may kind of hit you between the eyes. It may not, but it may a little bit. Put on those helmets. Okay? So if you think about where people learn their habits about money, Somebody that's about 80 years old was born in about 1940, which was about 20 years after the Great Depression, which would have been the parents born in the Great Depression and watched and went lived through that pain and developed their habits in childhood based on Great Depression behavior, and that's what was modeled.
0: We need a little bit more of that behavior in this generation.
1: Well, I... Think so.
0: We've gotten a little lax.
1: Well, it's it's really interesting to see generational studies, and I don't want to get deep in the weeds on this one because you know we could talk about how uh, the the uh, World War II generation was this incredibly sacrificial generation mm-hmm. that said we are going to take the lumps in the name of Nash, you know. Patriotism, and, and I'm not going to say that everything was great back in the 40s and 50s. That it just that that there weren't problems, right? Sure, there were problems. Okay, I mean it took until the 60s for us to start to have a civil rights movement. We had problems in this country, so don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But what I am going to say is that that generation, when World War II happened, and when when we talk about uh the scenario where there were actual attacks on us soil i mean th- it was far away soil right i mean hawaii and so forth but all of a sudden this country coalesced and mobilized as a country and said no and stood up and made a you know change the course of history and then changed the course of history financially for the country because after world war II and the marshall plan we had this incredible economic flourishing environment, because we had no competition, right? Europe was destroyed. Uh, The rest of the world was largely uh, less industrialized. The United States was just the leader and then amassed massive wealth. And then you see the follow-on of the baby boom generation of massive innovation. But then, and I'm just going to go after baby boomers for a minute. I realize I'm a Gen Xer in the middle throwing rocks here. But, (laughs) oh, my gosh, what have you done to the government and the ridiculous overspending. Yeah, oh, it's right? so bad. What has happened to fiscal responsibility, primarily
0: at the stewardship I mean, of the baby boom generation? That chart we were looking at today is a perfect example of that.
1: Yeah. Well, and our and our listeners don't under don't know yeah. what we're talking about. But if you look at the chart of the balance sheet for the Federal Reserve banking system, less than a trillion dollars on the balance sheet for the federal banking system that back in 2007, before the mm-hmm. real estate crisis uh, in 2008. Since then, it grew from to about $4 trillion as of about two years ago, and it's approaching $9 trillion now.
0: Just astronomical.
1: It is asymptotal growth. If you don't know what that means, it's a fun math term, look it up. I love right? that. Asymptotal growth, logarithmic growth, Insane amounts of growth on the balance sheet.
0: Just take your pencil and draw a line going straight up.
1: Yeah, and then draw a swoopy line that can keep going up but never touches that line. <laughs> so here we go. And the, the I'm back to the issue of generationally.
0: I got what, you what a little bit
1: is if you are trained By ultra conservative people with money. Yeah. And then you see the world around you get really reckless. It doesn't make you act more reckless, it makes you more convicted that the rest of the world's crazy and you're not going to participate. Yeah. So folks will sometimes ratchet down their risk because, and also here's the other thing you went through the 70s, right? If you're in your 80s now, you went through the 1970s. And you know exactly what hyperinflation looks like and what it meant to go through an oil embargo and gas lines and the pain of that generation. And you know, post-Vietnam era, the whole, tu- uh, you know, over the, 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 what do you call it, the tumultuousness of what we went through socially and economically. Mm-hmm. And in the 80s and the Cold War and the just the beatdown financially, but then the markets took off and made up for that gap, right? So I understand how you could say hey whippersnappers you ain't seen what I seen okay and maybe that was uh, obnoxious hey whippersnappers you haven't seen what I've seen okay I don't mean to somehow imply that you're that you're not intelligent that is not the point you guys have seen this the issue is that in an environment when the currency is being watered down you have to protect your purchasing power. Yep. And if you under-risk... And it's one thing where if you're like, I have to count on this paycheck every month because that's how I afford yeah, that's my a, life. that's
0: different than what we're talking about.
1: But if you've got a whole bunch in the bank and you're not s- necessarily spending it, if you're on pensions and it's covering your your costs of living, then your reserves and your medical is in good shape, then you're talking about next-generational stuff. I think it's okay to look not just at your own time horizon of risk, but those that may receive these funds one day when you move on. That's well said, yeah. And so you look at my heirs and what's their risk tolerance and how would I position it for them too because you want that purchasing power to be protected and you have to make sure that it's not getting eaten away by inflation. Right now, I got news for you. It is. The banks are not helping you. It's not their fault okay? It's, it's popular to throw rocks at big banks for lots of reasons. I realize they nickel dime us and the world's expensive, and I'm not giving them a pass. But the banks aren't the reason there's no interest and there's no margin. It's the fact that when you print money like crazy and bond yields go down to nothing, the banks can't loan money out at a significant cost either. So how can they pay you interest if they can't get interest on the loans they make? Boom. Because the federal government
0: is printing money. You heard it right here.
1: Okay, so throw rocks in the right direction. That's all I'm suggesting. Is By all means, pick up a rock and stone something, but throw it at the right, at the guilty <laughs> party, okay? Throw it at that printing press. <laughs> and so that's our issue, and when I see folks that, Uh, I've had folks say, well, we need to, you know, look at CDs or fixed annuities or something like that. And I just look at, and I go, when you buy a CD, you're you're loaning the money to somebody else to turn around and make money with it. And you are essentially loaning at ultra low rates rather than borrowing at low rates and using that money to do something, right? Go refinance a house for next to nothing. That is financially sensible in most cases. Okay. I'm, Again, I'm not giving you advice to do that. I'm giving you scenarios here. Keep having to disclose on the radio, right? Don't go do something dumb. Disclosure, disclosure. Call our office before you do this. If you want personalized advice, call our office, 541-375-0898. But if you uh, are just thinking generically, yeah, don't don't risk your purchasing power by being so sort of tucked into your shell looking for protection that you miss the the bigger picture, which is, you are not missing meals based on your investment performance, so your time horizon just became as long as you feel like, okay? So consider that in your scenario. That is the probably the biggest thing I see. That and, the well, there's one other thing I see that uh, retirees make, especially, there's a magic, I'm gonna tell you two things, because we're gonna take a break, then there's two things. The magic number and the number one mistake that I see when people and, and it's easy planning to fix. But I'm not gonna tell you till we come back, so stick around. Okay. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And we got true wealth on news radio twelve forty, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, we're back. Thanks for tuning in to the True Wealth Show. And by now, if you don't know where to get the podcast, I'm going to tell you one more time at littlejohnfs.com. That's financial services. For those of you that are wondering why there's initials, but if we wrote littlejohnfinancialservices.com, gosh, what that I mean? would be the longest web address. It would yeah, just drive barf. everybody bananas. So we don't do that, but go to the educate tab and you can grab the podcast. Matt, what is the one of the easiest mistakes to fix that folks make specifically in the state of Oregon?
0: In the state of Oregon. I'm gonna go with they end up dying with too much money.
1: Oh, I love it. The phrase is dying with too much money. You know, we're just going to
0: be morbid. Don't die with too much money and let the state tax you unnecessarily. Like, make sure that you're underneath the threshold.
1: So this is, it's sort of a tip of the hat to estate planning. Now, dying with too much money, that's a trickier one, right? Here's what a lot of people don't realize. Uh, And this is not tax advice. Again, I'm, you know, we disclose on air so seek a qualified estate planning attorney or tax advisor for this stuff or as i like to say see us after class okay but the idea is that in the state of oregon and and at the federal level if you have too much money uncle sam says after a certain threshold we want a piece of the action he
0: just puts his hand out there and and it's expensive yeah
1: but the number's really high i think Think it's about, and I'm going to round here. I've been are looking. You're talking design. federally or state? Federal first. Okay. The federal level is about eleven and a half million dollars. It's a lot of money. So if you've got more than eleven and a half million, are so they talking fr-
0: about lowering that?
1: So there, there is discussion about lowering it. The number I heard was three and a half million. Yikes. Yep. So here's there's a couple of gotchas in there. Okay, but I've got a, a safety net, maybe. So eleven and a half billion, and the the other side of it is, if you are married. Both you and your spouse get 11.5 million at the federal level. That's 23 million right now. Yeah, that's not bad. And if you're clever about it and you know you're going to die and you're willing to structure things the right way, you can triple that number.
0: Really? You
1: can through charitable gifting and through generation skipping trusts. Okay? Skip to those grandkids. Yep. So we can get cute about it in some ways. But. Oregon is de-linked from the federal estate thresholds. So what that means is we get a separate set of laws here in Oregon that are not linked to what the feds are doing. And the state of Oregon says, million dollars and anything more than a million dollars, and we want you to pay estate taxes. And it's roughly 10%. Yikes. Okay, so that means if you have... Your first million, no problem. But the next million, you're going to pay $100,000 in taxes to Oregon Hmm. for dying with it. Don't worry. It gets worse. Oh. If you have life insurance Mm. and somebody else is the beneficiary, okay, but you're the owner and you die, the beneficiary gets the money, but the money that they receive is included in your estate, for calculating that estate tax. And at least it is federally and I'm you know again you see your tax advisors, but yeah, they include that. So, there are lots of ways to be smart about how you plan and how you structure to avoid keeping more money on your balance sheet when you die. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't care, I'm dead, ain't my problem. Okay? And this time I will be slightly snarky about it. You know, I use improper grammar here, you go, know, well, yeah, because I think you're giving it to the government unnecessarily. And unless you believe the government spends the money wiser than the people do, then there you go. But I think that you can do better, okay? Now, first, remember if you are married, okay, and so if you're not married, tough break, you get a million bucks. If you are married, also tough break. Oregon says you're married, and so you're a single taxpayer unit, because you're married filing jointly, most likely. So you get a million-dollar exemption for both of you, but we can break you apart legally without getting a divorce or anything creepy, right? Just through some proper estate documents, through the right structuring of a will or a trust and some estate documents, you can split your exemption apart, and now you get $2 million of exemption.
0: I did not know that. Yep.
1: So- If you consider that if you have about two million dollars, it's not as hard to get to as you think. Between the appreciation in most houses today, if you had a house that was worth three hundred thousand dollars about five years ago, that house is now worth about four hundred fifty to five hundred thousand today. Mm-hmm. Right. So you got a half million dollar house, you got a retirement plan and some personal assets. Maybe you've gotten an inheritance recently. You could have two million dollars worth of stuff, and it's not as hard as you think to get there okay especially if you talk about life insurance death benefit in there too
0: mm-hmm. right you got a half
1: million dollar life insurance policy and a half million dollar house i got news for you you got a million dollars on your balance sheet so you want to break those things apart because it's going to save you the money and i can tell you the, the hundred thousand dollars of tax savings it's not going to cost that much to put estate docs in place right okay? so there are a lot of great attorneys out there we're not going to name names on the show today Uh, You can, see again, call us if you're looking for either an attorney referral or we can potentially help with some things as well. So you reach us by calling 541-375-0898. The reason we emphasize this stuff is because this is low-hanging fruit, people. And how much
0: money can that potentially save someone? I mean, you're talking
1: about for a few thousand bucks, you could potentially save a 100,000 at the estate level. And through other strategic moves, you may be able to save more than that, right? Everything's going to be personal at this point, so it's sort of not worth talking a whole lot about it on the radio because the strategies get to where, well, hey, we can do accelerated gifting or we could do you know, partial transfers of companies and get you know, change in valuation. We get sophisticated with our CPAs. That's right. We can, we can pay lots of people to get it done, but it's paying uh, a lot less to the government and it's perfectly legitimate to do. And you know what else? This stuff's going to change. That's the fun part. So if you said, oh, yeah, I did this 10 years ago, the laws have changed since 10 years ago. So you should have your documents reviewed to make sure they're in good you gotta order. got to have
0: your ducks in a row. That's it.
1: So look, gang, that is it for the day. That's, that's what we got. Learn how to properly assess risk. Do it in context. Set good quality rules so that your emotions don't get the best of you. And let's get that house in order and get the estate docs. Matt, how do they reach us?
0: 541-375-0898.
1: All right. And if you want to catch uh, send us an email as well. You can send it to info at littlejohnfs.com, and we will happily get back to you. Uh, as always, if you don't come to us, find somebody you like and trust. But if it uh, can be us, that's fantastic. Till next time, this has been Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You've been listening to True Wealth on news radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.